0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Christ. Amen. In 1955, nine-year-old Lawrence Craig from Bethesda, Maryland, was afraid that he was worshiping an idol. Let that sink in for a moment. He's nine years old. And he's worried about idolatry. How many nine-year-olds think about idolatry? Why would he be thinking this? Well, Lawrence had become captivated by C.S. Lewis's Narnia books. And he thought that he loved Aslan more than he loved Jesus. So his mother, Philindia wrote directly to C.S. Lewis to explain the situation. To her amazement, ten days later, she got a reply from him. Lewis comforted both Felindia and Lawrence by saying that he shouldn't worry about idolatry. By liking Aslan, he was actually liking Jesus more. Since Aslan was clearly the, Nar- the Jesus character in the Narnia books. Well, their correspondence didn't end after that first letter. It continued on for a while. Two years later, when Lawrence was 11, he was getting ready to reread the entire Narnia series. But he and his mother had differing views on the order in which he should read the books. That's because when Lewis published the seven books, he didn't publish them in chronological order. He didn't even write them in chronological order. So this means that the first book to be published, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is actually the second one in the series chronological. It's kind of like how the the Star Wars movies came out 4, 5, and 6, and then 1, 2, and 3, and then 7, 8, and 9. But Lewis's stories are even more out of sequence. The order in which they were published was 2, 4, 5, 6, 3, 1, and 7. So naturally, there's some confusion. Right? Should you read them in the order they were published? Or should you read them chronologically? Lawrence thought chronologically. His mother thought in order of publication. So they wrote to C.S. Lewis to find out what the author himself thought. So on April 22nd, 1957, C.S. Lewis wrote the following to 11-year-old Lawrence. Dear Lawrence, I think I agree with your order for reading the books, chronological, more than your mother's, order of publication. The series was not planned out beforehand, as she thinks. When I wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I did not know I was going to write anymore. Then I wrote Prince Caspian as a sequel and still didn't think there would be any more. And when I had done The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, I felt quite sure that would be the last. But I was wrong. So perhaps it does not matter very much in which order anyone reads them. I'm not even sure that all of the others were written in the same order in which they were published. I never keep notes of that sort of thing and never remember dates. So this means, if you haven't read the Narnia books before, apparently it doesn't matter in which order you read them. But it does still raise an interesting question. Where does the story start? Does it start with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the first one to be written, the one that introduced readers to Narnia? The one that's often considered the best in the series? Or does it start with The Magician's Nephew? The sixth book to be written, but the one that's a prequel to Lie, the Witch, and the World*. Also, why does this even matter? Right, to some people this is a silly question. They see it as a big waste of time. But I don't think it is. I think the question of where does the story start is a very important question. Not just for the Narnia books, but for other areas too. Like this sermon.
1: When I was writing this sermon,
0: I knew I wanted to tell you about 11-year-old Lawrence. I wanted to tell you about him writing to C.S. Lewis to figure out the order in which to read the books. But how was I supposed to start that story? Was I just supposed to say that there was this boy who wrote to this famous author? I suppose I could have, but why were they writing in the first place? That's why I started a little earlier, by telling you about nine-year-old Lawrence worrying about idolatry. Sometimes you need some backstory to catch you up to the main story. Sometimes the story doesn't start where you think it starts. Today's gospel reading is all about where the story starts. And in one sense, that's quite literal. Because this is Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. It is the very beginning of this first gospel account. And yet, these first eight verses might not really be the beginning at all. Let's look at it again. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Then we get a quote from the prophet Isaiah, which is really a combination of a quote from Isaiah and a quote from Malachi. And the quote talks about a messenger crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. Then we're told about John, who's baptizing people in the wilderness. And John then says that someone more powerful than him is coming after him. There's a lot of stuff going on in these eight verses here. But did you notice something that's not here? Jesus. Aside from his name being mentioned in the first verse, Jesus doesn't show up in this reading. He's mentioned by name by the narrator and hinted at by John, but as a character in the story, he hasn't shown up yet. His first appearance will be in the very next scene, when he comes to be baptized by John. So that means, in the Gospel of Mark, we don't get any birth narratives for Jesus. The first time Jesus shows up is as an adult at his baptism. So where does Jesus' story start? Does it start when he's baptized? Does it start with John the Baptist? Does it start with Isaiah and Malachi? Does it start with the famous birth story from Luke that we read at Christmas? Does it start with the first verse of this gospel, which says the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ? It's a good question. Plus, what does that verse mean when it says the beginning? Right? This is where it really gets interesting. Many people think that these eight verses here are the beginning. That this is the little prequel story before the main story when Jesus shows up. This is like nine-year-old Lawrence being worried about idolatry. It's the necessary background. But the beginning should be paired with the ending. And the ending of Mark is just as confusing. If you look in your Bible at the end of Mark, you will find three different endings. The original ending is at 16.8. There we hear that the women ran away from the empty tomb in terror and amazement and didn't say a word to anybody. That's where the gospel originated. Well, that can't be where the story stopped. Because we're still talking about the empty tomb today. Right? Somebody had to say something to someone. That's why you get the shorter ending of Mark and the longer ending of Mark, which were added later. But, given the abrupt ending of 16.8, many scholars think, and I quite agree, that the entire Gospel of Mark should be considered the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Or, to say it a different way, that first verse isn't just an introduction of the seven verses that follow. That first verse is a title for the entire book. That's because the story of Jesus continues after those terrified women run away from the tomb. The story continues throughout history. It continues into our own lives but we need to know the background first, right? We can't know how Jesus is working in our lives now without hearing from Scripture how he worked back then. Which raises another good question. Where does your story start? Does it start today? Is today the first day of the rest of your life, as they say? Does your story start the day you were born? Does it start when your parents met? Does it start earlier than that? Or does it start when you made that mistake? Or when you broke that relationship? Or when you did that thing that still haunts you? Is that where your story begins? And where does Jesus fit into it? Think again about what John's doing out there in the wilderness. He's calling people to repent and be baptized. When we repent... We turn around from our past. We move on to a new chapter in our lives. Or better yet, a new story. Right, yes, as a character, you are moving on from one story to another. But like characters in literature, there's character development for you. You are not the same person you once were how does that happen? Because of Jesus. Right? Yes, you make certain choices in your lives, but Jesus is the one who ultimately changes you. This is what John was proclaiming after all. John was calling the people to make new choices and be baptized with water but one who is more powerful than him will baptize people with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus changes you, it doesn't matter what story came before that. Like 11-year-old Lawrence wondering where to start the Narnia books, it doesn't matter. When Jesus changes you and the story of your life in him takes off, It doesn't matter how old you are or where you are in life. Your story up until then doesn't define you. Your mistakes, your achievements, your missteps, that's not who you are anymore. It's who you were. It's your backstory. But it's not who you are. Instead, your identity is found in Jesus. Because of Jesus, you have a new story. You have a new beginning. You have a new life. Yes, you can reread what came before, so to speak. But the real beginning in your life comes with Jesus. He is the reason John said what he said. He is the reason the gospel writer quotes Isaiah and Malachi. He's the reason that we still talk about the resurrection and the empty tomb. Because your story starts with Jesus. And now, let's see where the story goes from here. In the name of this one who gives us a new story, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.